podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk with Neil Atkinson, Fuad Hassan and Dan Austin talking about Liverpool's fantastic, fantastic, fantastic evening uh, where they got themselves through against uh, AS Roma. We were all there. We were giving you chapter and verse on that one. We'll also be looking ahead to the final. You might think it's early. Liverpool have got a bit of business to do before then. But the other side of that is the allocation and the ticket prices in Kiev. We want to have a chat about that. We may or may not mention Stephen Gerrard deciding to go to Rangers. Uh, we might come on to that one in a little while. But Liverpool on the way home tonight. What we want to talk about as well is the Chelsea game. But we start in Roma. We're worried about Chelsea because no one might have any legs left. Liverpool are on a big pitch, Dan Austin. And they ended up having a lot of work to do. I... I can't quite... It was a bit of a strange second half, really. I think it's completely set up by the Zeko goal. Mm-hmm. I think the Zeko goal, I think if Liverpool had got to 60 there with it being 2-1, then I think there would have been more of a more of a vibe of this is where we are, we just sort of sort this out. As it was, the Zeko goal is the thing that gets everyone really, really agitated, maybe even more agitated than we needed to be. Yeah, the, the thing about this football team is that it only operates on insane in a positive and a negative sense. So in the sense that we won the first like five two and probably should have done it five now. You take that as 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 brilliant and it's a mesmerizing thing and, and the completely completely devastating going forward. But then if that's the way it's set up and that is the way it's set up, then you have to take the, the, the negatives if you want to frame it as that with it. Um and it was it was just absolutely unbelievable to watch. It was just Every time you think they've done the maddest thing imaginable, they one up themselves the next week. And I said that after the Roma game on the pink. <laughs> um, and now I'm saying it this week, and I assume I'm going to be saying it in Kiev as well. Um, as, we, as we were watching it, it just felt like... It felt like beyond a football match. It felt like almost spiritual in this really weird way. It felt like it was always going to finish like that. Um, I completely agree about the Jekyll goal. I felt... Well, I didn't really feel properly nervous at any point, I don't think. But until that... I was just absolutely having the time of my life, convinced we were the better team, convinced we were going to win on the night as well. And then that one sort of felt like... I don't even think it was about Liverpool so much. I think it was more about them because they go in a 2-1. And, and from the moment that Liverpool had scored, their crowd died. Because um, I was actually really impressed with it beforehand. I thought the it was atmosphere was great, wasn't it? Was the, yeah. It was the best away atmosphere in terms of the opposition support that I've ever been in. Um, but it, as soon as that Mane goal went in, it, it, it killed them off. And then they came back alive with the Jekyll one. And that translated to them on the pitch in the same way that the Anfield atmosphere has done with Liverpool so many times over the years. Um, and the combination of all that together seemed to just make it so that, so that they believed in themselves more than everything and, and and we were shaky at times but I don't think we played we certainly didn't play well but I didn't think we, we played particularly badly or defended awfully it was just that they were making chances as a home team usually would do in the semi-final of a European Cup um, and the reason that we weren't really worried about it at any point was because they had already done the business in the first leg um, we were talking just a moment ago before we came on air about how um, people were getting really really worried in the ground at, at 2-2 and stuff um, and I was I was stood next to you in the Olympic hour and we hadn't we didn't have a kid in the world because so we've got seven you know we've we've literally scored seven here and they've only got four or they've only got three or whatever it was at any stage. Um, one of my favourite things about it actually was the the penalty at the, at the end isn't a penalty, um, and the penalty that they got at Anfield isn't a penalty either. They probably should have had two other ones, but they balanced themselves out. But <laughs> that that referee given that penalty. The ground going absolutely wild, it going in, they think this is on, we are doing this again, one more ball pump forward and we've got this, we've got it in the bag and the whole time the referee knows it doesn't matter one jot if it gets scored or not because he's blown up in a second anyway and it, it, it's an absolute power play from the man I thought it was absolutely, <laughs> absolutely fantastic, he's, he's, he's gone in front of all of them, what, 50, 60,000 people in that ground, the millions upon millions of people watching at home and gone. I'm going to give you what you think the story is here and then I'm going to snatch it right away from you. And the let-off, the let-off on pitch and off pitch when that final whistle went was just absolutely unbelievable. It was, it's the best thing I've ever been a part of, ever. Best thing you've ever been a part of? Oh, definitely. I mean, I was completely the the other end of the scale in terms of nerves. I mean, I was in bits. I think all my maths went out the window. I had a little support <laughs> group around me, I think, just trying to keep, me, keep my head down. And just, uh, I mean, I honestly thought... We, I, we came in a nil-nil because it just felt like each time they scored, they were going to come back and get another. And then as soon as you see, as soon as you see that first goal go in, you think it's not going to be our night. I mean, when has a ball ever come off James Milner's face or any player's face and got in the bottom corner? You know, absolutely hilarious, that goal. It's unbelievable. <laughs> 
And you think after that, I thought that's it. We're, we're, we're getting we're getting knocked out. And um, no, I mean just so when Alton goal in the end, it's hard to put over people who weren't there, but it didn't really get celebrated no. for about for no. about say about ten no. seconds. Yeah. There's about ten seconds. Of everyone wondering if you, if it's been given because it all yeah. looks so innocuous. It was so far away and it looked so innocuous for a while. And you just thought, you not is he giving? Has he? And it was only after yeah. about ten seconds. I went, he's given it. <laughs> there was it was all kind of in slow motion. We all looked at each other and then we turned back, looked at the lines. But you're so far away that you. I mean, to me, it looked about 20 yards offside just because of the of the, like the perspective and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it just went off in the away and that, that Sadio Mane goal. I mean, we were stood in, on seats when there were people in front of us in rows and we just went flying. And I think one of the best experiences in my life and my best Liverpool moment for the, sure. The difference in the two goals is absolutely mad because the first one, no one sees it hit the net because no. as soon as he kicks it and it's over Alisson, everyone's falling everywhere, dragging people down with them, absolutely mad. Whereas as you say, the second one, we all watch it go in and go... It's gone in that. <laughs> Must be something wrong with it though. Nah, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, we can go mad. <laughs> the yeah, sheer no. difference of celebrating the goal before it's happened to really let, letting yourself absorb it, watch it, almost watch the replay <laughs> and then to start to have a joyous time. Uh, it just looked like the sort of goal you just don't get given for one reason. Like I'm thinking no. there's a foul on someone in there. It looked or like a... everyone had stopped and he was the only one still playing. It was just... It was that. Why is he the... How yeah, can he be the, was the only lad moving here? Everyone else clearly knows that the football stopped and, and we just don't. I think he was a bit confused himself as well probably when he, when he of that in, probably turned around and looked and yeah. Why is, oh, why is oh, no one oh, else done anything? <laughs> and then when you're watching it back, you're like, yeah, of course it's a goal. Yeah, <laughs> there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. What were we all playing? At? Yeah, of course it's a goal. What, what's your problem there with that, lads? It going through the rest of the first half. If there's a bit of a, you know, I think there's lots of little bits about. In many ways, it's a good result in that they get off the mad celebration. Uh, whilst they're having the mad celebration, Klopp's doing post-match press conferences saying they weren't very good, and then Klopp gets to come out and have the mad celebration with them. But the point is, he it is a bit of a feat on the ground one not from the point of view of the final result but almost in being able to say lads you should be going in maybe three or four one up at half time second half you should break a little bit better and get the goal that you you know would have would have changed it completely again you know we've gone through and it's it, it looks like it's the skin of our teeth I don't think it quite is I think we deserve to go through over the balance of play in the both in both games but it's more that he can say to them right there's still still bits to think about here still bits to learn yeah no I, I think you you summed it up brilliantly on the review about how it, it was the chance to make the chance, which wasn't quite coming off. And there were so many opportunities. I mean, that first goal, gift, gifting away possession and that bit of the pitch to, to Firmino and letting Mane go through and goal like that. I mean, that's that's what these three lads are, are there to do and what they kind of thrive in. So, yeah, there were opportunities. I think, you know, Mo Salah wasn't quite is, is at his sharpest. But Bobby as well wasn't quite there. I think Sadio Mane played unbelievably. And... I think obviously he, in the end, along with Genie, were the two that got us through. Uh, Sadio Mane played unbelievably. I think this is important, Dan, in that there's lads on that pitch who we we all say that Mane's had a bit of a checkered season. I think now we can say that's probably not quite true. He just had a bit of a dip before Christmas, and yep. since then he's been he's been impressive. You know that you know able to look at the long lens of the season and see the goal at Burnley, for instance, as he's actually playing all right here, and we need to all relax a little bit in the context of everything that follows whereas at the time it was a bit like don't feel like Sadio was up to, up to his best today but he rifled that one in against Burnley if you see what I mean mm-hmm. but it isn't just him it's also I thought second half first half I thought second half Jordan Henderson was Liverpool's best player uh, when Jordan the first half um, he, he, I don't think he had that good a first half and then you watch the game back and that's right first half he wasn't great second half he was brilliant there's a number of players who've been maligned on and off um, as Liverpool players who are now all by right not by luck but by right deservedly in a, in a European Cup final yeah there's so many of them um, and and Sadio Sadio's a great example yeah it, it's it's by the wider media but it's also by us ourselves who've, who've, who've watched them and derided them over various seasons and even part of this season um, I mean Andy Robertson wasn't really getting a game until what late November early yeah. December that's when he started and now, now you, wouldn't change him for, you wouldn't change him for anyone on the planet at this point um, Mane the other night was absolutely incredible in terms of I mean he scores a really good goal for the start but also he offers a combination of all of the width because we couldn't get Salah into the game but also he was, he was coming deep and playing like a number 8 role a lot of the time as well and acting as the link between midfield and attack because the midfield towards the end was, was far too tired to attempt to get forward which is completely understandable and he was providing both he was, he was the attack it ended up as basically um, Henderson as you say in the second half the amount of things he broke up um, people, people talk about wanting a number six that makes tackles and you know a big lad at six foot four and just literally breaks up the play and can't pass it 
have him instead who can pass it as well because he, the, the, seriously the amount of attacks he stopped there and I think he didn't play as well in the first half but I think it was almost because he didn't have to play as well in the first half to an extent because um, Roma started with Daniele De Rossi and Daniele De Rossi could not keep up with the football match in the slightest um, I think he's about 33 or 34 now and he should not have been playing in that game if you, if, if, even Roma fans I assume coming away from that would say the same because as much as he's a hero and everything um, he, he's, he's not got the legs he's not got the legs to play in the European Cup semi-final and he's not got the legs to play in Gates Liverpool um, about 65 in they broke Gonnell on for him and I think it was no coincidence that they pro- improved an awful lot from that sub um, Liverpool's midfield has an awful lot more to think about going forward Roma was stronger quicker um, but Henderson reacted to it <coughs> Um, the two other sides of them were, were really good in the second half as well I think in terms of the defending it was less good going forward but it didn't need to be good going forward at that point I think that's the crucial thing to remember here is that as much as people might talk about you know individual errors and I've seen people moaning about Trent and, and, and different things and the Roma manager um, chairman in fact moaning about decisions and the referee and stuff like that and if you're going to moan about negatives like that, if you're going to moan about Liverpool not deserving to go through either because of individual mistakes or referee mistakes, don't concede seven. Don't let them score loads of goals past you in the first place. That's on you. And if you're going to moan at Liverpool players for conceding six goals, you've also got to stand up and applaud them for scoring seven and haven't put it to bed before those six even count, even mattered. It was, it, it, it was in hindsight, finished at 5 nil. And I understand why people are, are, are conscious of the fact that they've conceded six and thinking about what Madrid could do in that context. But Liverpool didn't need to play well from, what, 70 minutes into the first leg? Um, and they didn't, but, I mean, they put on a show, don't they? Whatever they put on a show. And I honestly believe that I, I wouldn't change that second leg for the world, whatever happens in it. I'd rather we, I'd rather we lost that game 4-2 than won it 10-0 because the scenes that were caused in the away end were a direct consequence of the context of the match, of that mixture of jubilation, relief, exhaustion, exultation, everything coming together that wouldn't have happened if we'd have battered them. Um, so, uh, yeah, as much as there were mistakes in there, as much as they were poor for swathes of the game, I wouldn't change a single thing about it. It's the Anfield Rap Radio City Talk. Don't go anywhere. More on this in a second. It is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk, Neil Atkinson, Fuad Hassan and Dan Austin with you. Going right the way through until half past seven with sheer excitement this week on the Anfield Rap. We're not going to play any music for you. We're going to instead talk about the Reds and let's have a brief chat about about that defence really the other night. Fuad, um, they do concede four goals. It is worth pointing that out. They do come under massive pressure. There's a lot to be said for... Van Dijk's season to me is fascinating that he's basically spends the first half of the season being being sidelined at Southampton. He sacrifices everything to come and play for Liverpool. And that's now, you know, that's what you've got to look at. And he gets the reward for it in that game against Roma, in that Liverpool are in the Champions League final, with him being the absolute centre of the, of that defence and with his calm and the fact that he oozes that level in a way in which actually few Liverpool players genuinely do. The way in which we perceive it from the outside, because we're, we're nonsensical about football teams. We think that everybody else has got 11 absolutely marvellous, unbelievably poised players. We saw Real versus Bayern. They're having a laugh, to be honest with you. Uh, but Van Dijk is just, he just looks like, he looks like a lad who's destined to lift the European Cup. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think when we brought him in, I was a little bit concerned because he, he hasn't got the worst of injury records, but he it hasn't been great. You know, he's had a long term injury. He's come in, and I was kind of worried about the whole playing two games a week sort of situation. And and especially, you know, all our centre half seem to be you know made out of play doh because they're all they're always getting knocks here and there, ill or whatever it is. So um, since he's come in, now I, I, I couldn't really ask for much more. He's he, to, to be quite honest, you you would have been a little bit worried with in terms of experience at this level. But I think the fact that he's been able to come in straight into like the knockout stages and, and show the class and, and just the confidence, you know, it's, it's a testament to him. And I, and I think without him, I'd be quite concerned as to, as to where we'd be standing right now. The composure is absolutely unbelievable. Um, there was one second half where they pumped the ball forward on the right-hand side. Uh, Robertson was caught a bit forward and, and Van Dijk moved over and was in a challenge with, I, I don't think it was Jekyll, but it was that other six foot four lads Schmitt, that they had up front. Schmitt, yeah. Pa- yeah, Patrick Schick. Uh, and he won the ball in the air, Van Dijk. Put it, put it straight up above him, chested it down, controlled it and passed it 10 yards and we were on the break again. And I've, ju- I've just never seen anyone do things like that. I've seen excellent defenders <coughs> in my time watching Liverpool and time watching other football teams, but I've never seen anybody who is relaxed to the extent that he is relaxed. 
Um, and it, it spreads everywhere else and lots of people have spoken about the effect that he's had on the goalkeeper since he came in and Lovren as the other centre-half but I, th- I really think it's everywhere I think it's everyone on the pitch and it's even us in the stands because when the ball gets pumped forward when the ball's in the box or whatever you're just more confident in it getting dealt with um, and I, I think it has a massive effect on the, on the club at, at such a wide extent um, which in hindsight makes the transfer fee look like pennies well, it does, you know, it does make the transfer fee look like pennies. I think what people don't talk, but the only way people are not talking about the transfer fee is saying no one's talking about the transfer fee, and I think that that you know yeah. that speaks volumes. He's, it is, it is just the, the the thing that sort of strikes me is the extent to which he's he's almost psychologically spent the first half of his season this season preparing for playing for Liverpool, and that is, you know, he was he was almost to all intents and purposes put on guard and leave by Southampton. He gets so few appearances for them in the first half of the season, and then. You, f- you feel as though he's probably spent more time watching DVDs of our games than he has of watching theirs, you know, and, and, and you can you can debate the rights and wrongs of that until the cows come home. The reality is you get the impression he's just spent the entirety of, of, of this campaign preparing for and then becoming Liverpool's centre-back. I think I think also playing for a team like this, these sort of quality, qualities come out. I think with Southampton, you know, we talk about the way they play and, and the level they're kind of competing at. He, he's, he's not able to show or he's not put in a system where he... He literally has to be that composed on the ball, able to pass it out. The manager demands that from his centre halves, his his defenders in general. You know, it's it's a it's a big thing, I guess, been debated about how, you know, Klopp tends to leave his defenders really exposed just because of the style of play and and how demanding it is. It's not necessarily a a, a kind of dig at at the players individually, but it, there's so much pressure on these players to to be able to play with the ball at their feet and also cover such big you know big yardage, I guess, or distances and and be able to play. Yeah. Good, fast-moving football. So I think I think he's he, he's come in and and all these sort of natural qualities that he's he's had have been able to kind of come out now and in a system where he's just perfectly slotted in. It's there's lots and lots of bits this season, Dan, which still remain on a knife edge. I'm going to talk about that in part after seven o'clock a little bit, but there is. If it does come together, and the best way now to phrase it coming together is if Liverpool qualify for the Champions League next season, and then if Liverpool, you know, just go and get a result against Chelsea, then it is a season where you're able to say, well, whatever your ambitions were, Liverpool will probably take them apart from maybe winning a trophy, and there's still the opportunity to do that at the end of May, and it's the the biggest trophy in European club football, but. The manager's made a number of gambles. I think he's made a number of gambles throughout his entire time at Liverpool, um, and. I think there's two things that sort of defined his, his plan for his way home. One is that he's just simply not prepared, really, to countenance compromising around a transfer, certainly a major transfer. And the second one is his commitment that Liverpool's route will be the opposite of Atletico Madrid's. Liverpool will will gamble gamble that the house on goals, on being attacking, mm-hmm. on being, or, or more accurately, being constantly front foot, and that's when we're at our best. And you know, firstly on Van Dijk, he's. He, or on both of them rather you can probably argue this season this season vindicates him it especially vindicates him if Liverpool go on and win the Champions League but right now he's able to sit there and and be able to say you know what I've had my approach and I've got it right Absolutely none of us would change things now um, considering the reaction that we all had when he was speaking last summer about there being no better centre-halves about than, than Matip and Lovren and us you know clearly not believing him um, and, and the kind of furore over him not even having brought in something of a stopgap um, also the fact that Coutinho was moved on without a replacement and the Kaiter has only come in this summer there were lots of gripes to be had and I think at the time they were they were completely apt to, to have those worries for supporters but he knows more about football than us and he's proven it hasn't he um, he's more, no more, about, more about his football exactly than that's think, yes what, what strikes me about him Dan is 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 that he's decided that he is just going to be single-minded about mm-hmm. the football he wants and the way... Now, listen, Liverpool aren't entirely single-minded. They do compromise here and there in terms of selection and approach and bits and pieces. But what I mean is his overarching commitment to his own philosophy and to his own plan and to his own outlook is... is Admirable, and it's 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 the sort of thing that when it comes off, everyone admires it. When it doesn't, people mm-hmm. say, "God, he's not half stubborn." But right now, uh, rightly, and, and remember this: when it isn't coming off a little bit, don't call him stubborn. The idea is that there's just a big idea, and he's yeah. fully committed to it. It's the exact opposite to the Benitez approach of doing a season. <laughs> in the, I mean, we've spoken lots of times about the difference between this Champions League campaign and a typical Benitez Champions League campaign, um, where Benitez was pretty much all about compromise, and that if he thinks he can get a left-back that's slightly better at crossing than the left-back that he's currently got, then he'll make the move and he'll pay a few million quid and he'll take the gamble and it might work and it might not. Whereas Klopp, every single player that he's brought in 
it's been it's been prepared to death. It's been he's either been prepared to wait. He's either been prepared to look at a player, think right, he's good in that position. I'm going to move his position. Wijnaldum being the prime example. Um, and it, it is all about getting across what he wants to do in the same way that Benitez got across what he wants to do. It was just the exact opposite of what we're doing now. Um, and it's it's those it's those reasons why, why we're in this final. Um, if he'd have compromised on more things, we might have had a more balanced squad. We might be a little bit higher up in the league. We might have a few more points. Um, I doubt that, but I mean, it, it's eminently possible. But we wouldn't have made this Champions League final because we've made this Champions League final by being mad by other football teams simply not being able to deal with us. It's not the it's not that from one to eleven we've got comfortably better players than these football teams. It's not the we're, we're simply better in quality than them. It's it's the fact that they just can't handle what we are and the way we are. And that's really important because we've we've spoken on shows in the past about how to Liverpool match other football teams that have got the money, how to Liverpool match Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid um, in terms of league football and European football and it's really hard to do that because they've got such a genuine advantage because of the money thing. Um, but Liverpool's way of matching them and beating them seems to just be, we're just going to be crazier than you and you can try and deal with that if you want and if you deal with it fair enough we've had a go. But up until now, no one has been able to. And it's an extremely unorthodox way of trying to be the best. It's an unusual way of trying to be the best. It could all end in tears. We could we could just concede about 10 to Real Madrid. But so far, it's by far and away the best way for us to be doing things. And everyone, everyone who's either on the pitch, in the stands, on the bench, believes in this way of doing things for Liverpool Football Club. It strikes me that that's why what I've found a bit incongruous in recent weeks throughout, and he's been doing it now for months, and this is one of the few sorts of areas where you feel as though we take a bit of a backward step, and I don't like this 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 sub to three at the back. Mm. And I, and the reason why, and I'd like to know if it would be different maybe if he had a stronger bench, if he had another couple of midfielders on there, if he had something else. What I don't like about it is we're at our best when we're getting the ball away from our own goal, and not just the idea of attacking, but holding it higher up the pitch, being prepared to be brave with it in possession. The three at the back thing or five at the back, it feels really reactive. And the thing is that we, what, 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 at our best, we're so proactive. That's the way we play. And I'm not saying for a second we should be attacking and looking to batter teams for 90 minutes. I just think that I'd rather see us try and see the game out with the ball rather than trying to see the game out by saying, OK, if you're going to lump it, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, exactly. It definitely feels reactive. And and I think a lot of it does come down to the options he has on the bench. You know, I, th- I think we're li- really limited in terms of attacking options and even more limited in the midfield and and I think that's the key area if 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 he could make the changes he'd ideally like to make I think it would be in that area and I mean there's such a lack of personnel there at the moment with injuries and everything that I think he kind of forced to do that and I think he sees something he has to change something but I think it's such a wholesale change in a stage of a game where you know new players are coming on players around them are changing their roles it brings out a bit of confusion you know you, you got you got set pieces to deal with you got balls coming in the box you don't have everyone completely sure what they're supposed to do and I think it can be a very dangerous thing in certain stages and we've seen it we, we've seen it you know we've paid the price for it a couple of times but I think definitely the options on the benches is something we need to look at over the summer and I'm sure I'm sure we'll address that and hopefully injuries won't hit us as bad as they have this late on in the season and I, I think hopefully a couple of them will be back so we can see a few more options, especially in that midfield area. Dead quick, who was your man of the match? Fuad? Oh, I would say Sadio Mane or Genie Wijnaldum. I couldn't. I'll give it Andy Robertson to be different. Uh, Andy Robertson to be different. Uh, a lot to be said as well for his his little foray of throwing lads onto the uh, onto the oh, athletic track late in the game. Wasn't it just uh, had a bit of everything for everybody uh, right the way through? I was stood next to Gareth Roberts. It was it, it basically the best sixty <laughs> seconds of his life. Um, genuinely, uh, it was he was he was overcome uh, to watch a fullback be that alehouse uh, mm-hmm. and then stand up and go what <laughs> afterwards was uh, was phenomenal stuff. Listen, this is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk. After the bit, we're going to be looking ahead to Chelsea. Liverpool need. To to be in the Champions League again next season. They need it more than anything in the world. You know why? Because the Champions League needs it too. Nothing lights up European competition like Liverpool Football Club and nothing lights up Liverpool Football Club like European competition. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back to have a big chat about that. 
little Reds Bet segment for you. Neil Atkinson and Dan Austin talking about the Reds Bet specials this week. The Anfield Raps in partnership with the Reds Bet across the course this season, in case you don't know that already, I'm sure you do. Uh, 50% of losses, uh, i.e. their profits, uh, do go back into supporter-based causes uh, around Liverpool supporter-based causes as well with Reds Bet. Uh, that's the way in which they operate and they go right the way through and sort all of that out. Uh, but if you are going to gamble, please do uh, gamble responsibly. Be gamble aware. Uh, .org uh, to get more information on that. Uh, Liverpool this weekend face Chelsea. It's a huge one, really, Dan. There's, um, there's, there's the, the first one I'd say is there's a there's a horrible weekend bet on this. I'm made up, you know, with, the, with what Reds Bet have done. Genuinely, I'm made up. Like this is the extent to which I feel I've got huge brand affinity. So normally, uh, Reds Bet. The way they do it, they do an offer where you can have a perfect weekend, a great weekend, and a horrible mm-hmm. weekend. And the perfect weekend is normally Liverpool win, Everton lose, and Manchester United lose. That's normally the perfect weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, what what happens instead is when Man United can't play, they pick Chelsea. But they can't put Chelsea in because we're playing Chelsea. So Man United are playing Friday night against Brighton, in case you don't know. Okay. So they're playing tonight, so they've not used that because they want to keep it on Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday. Guess which team they've gone with. So it's Liverpool, Everton, they can't use United, and we're playing Chelsea. Guess the team. Is it Manchester City? It's not. Is it... Is it Stoke? It's not. They're not Go a on pre- then, they're tell not, me. They're not a, not a Premier League club? No. Okay. Um, Guess the Premier League club they've gone with to make our perfect weekend, great weekend or horrible weekend. Guess the non-Premier League the club? The non-Premier League club they've gone uh, with. I can't. I, I can't think. Is it a European team or an English team? It's an English team. It's an English team for a perfect weekend for Liverpool. Go on, tell me. I'm not getting it. Leeds United. That is the reaction of a man who spent some time living in Yorkshire. Oh, it's absolute scene. <laughs> See, you know why I didn't get that? Because that is too old school for it me. Is, it's far too old school. They basically went on the whole hog and done Nottingham Forest. <laughs> Leeds United, so your perfect weekend bet. You get 29, uh, 29, it's decimal odds, so it's 29.00. That's what I've got up on my screen at the minute. Uh, hang on, I can change that. There's a drop down. Uh, fractional, thank you. Uh, it is 28 to 1 for Liverpool to win, Everton to lose, and Leeds to lose. A great weekend. It's, it's 15 to 2 for Everton to win. Ever, sorry, for Liverpool to win. Everton to fail to win and Leeds to fail to win <laughs> your horrible weekend is Liverpool lose Everton lose and by God Leeds United win the worst of all possible worlds <laughs> is a Leeds United win it's right Reds but I am absolutely <laughs> delighted I am delighted um, so yeah there are your specials on that for the perfect great and horrible weekend I just love the idea of watching Leeds Leeds' result coming on the Saturday and having something riding on them getting beat <laughs> come on I've never seen you happier than this oh, and no. I was stood next to you in the stadium and I'm <laughs> <laughs> I am overjoyed. All the all the gambles are these. Uh, you Kante be serious. Liverpool to win and Angolo Kante to be booked. That's fourteen to one. I think quite like that. I get the impression that if we did win, Angolo Kante may well be booked. If you yes, he kicks I mean. lads, doesn't he? That's that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a big part of his job. It's, def- get- it's definitely written into his contract. The game's getting away from him. Yeah, the game's getting away from Chelsea from midfield. It makes sense. Yeah, so fourteen to one for that, and I think there's a bit of value in that. Uh, I don't think there's a bit of value in this. Sorry, Reds bet. Uh, Klopp dead gorgeous. Uh, Liverpool to score four or more 16 to 1 I mean those lads could score four but they didn't have look shattered if we're honest <laughs> it's ambitious and if it were if it were another weekend of the season it would make sense but this weekend of this season this game it feels like hard work it does feel like hard work <laughs> it's, it's weird how it's only this weekend of the season that it feels hard work to score for I know testament to how great the Reds are yeah that this week <laughs> going to a top four rival it's, yeah. this end of, it's this weekend of the season we, we think it might just be beyond them <laughs> might be a bridge too far <laughs> the golden touch Mo Salah to score three or more again I've got to say being honest with you I reckon if Mo scores and certainly if he gets the goal that puts, it to, puts us two ahead in the game there's every chance he gets the hook um, <laughs> so Mo Gets, gets the brace you're on, it, you're on that at 20 to 1 you see Klopper with the board fuck off Klopper Alex <laughs> <laughs> uh, bringing Clavon on and going 3-5-2 again oh. <laughs> <laughs> loves, loves, loves that sub uh, loves that sub so yeah we're right behind so just so you know on, on the red bet this week we're right behind you Kante be serious Liverpool to win and Angolo Kante to be booked and we are also right behind the inclusion of Leeds United <laughs> that is uh, great. it is absolutely brilliant 14 to 1 for that 28 to 1 for the perfect weekend 14 to 1 for the horrible weekend and get your consolation prize if Leeds United have the temerity to win a match in the championship uh, <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe we're all still furious about Leeds it's the Reds betting set listen we'll get back over and talk about how the Reds are boss 
the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk, Neil Atkinson, Fuad Hassan and Dan Austin with you until half past seven. Listen, the final is in Kiev and it's up against Real Madrid. Fuad, did you see the semi-final? The other semi-final? Yeah. Um, first half an hour, 40 minutes, I think both teams looked reasonably impressive by Munich and Real Madrid. It looked like a really good European encounter to heavyweights going blow for blow. Um, the second half, they looked rubbish. Let's not stand on ceremony here. They, both sides were unbelievably ragged, I felt, in the second 45. There was madness where you're watching three, four Bayern Munich players counter on three or four Real Madrid players when Real Madrid just needed to see the game out. Um, it was... There's undoubtedly something to fear in Real Madrid. There's tons of quality all over the pitch. They know the course. They know the distance. They're not. They're not rubbish. But simultaneously, you're looking at it thinking we can get something here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll be on second half. I, w- I was at a bar in Rome watching it, and w- the whole kind of bar lost attention, lost their attention watching it. So I guess, I guess I didn't see too much of it. But at the same time, you could see the, you could see the frailties. I think the legs definitely went for both teams in that second half. Um, I think one obvious weak point in that Real Madrid side is the goalkeeper. Um, definitely looks suspect, and we've talked about ours, and you know the wider media have talked about our, our goalkeeping situation. But I, I don't think theirs is much better, or if at all, better than ours. And uh, I think overall, that to me, that midfield, other than Casemiro, seems quite an old, aged midfield with a kind of with a lack of legs. And if we can get at them and win the ball back in the right areas, like we've been doing before. That back four does look very exposed, and, and they, they especially like to bomb forward with their fullbacks. So I think we could definitely get in behind it. It's going to be a case of who scores more goals on the team. I know it sounds obvious, but there's definitely going to be goals for both sides. Um, Madrid second for 45, Dan. We were watching it together, and to me, I can't quite, quite work out. A little bit like you mentioned De Rossi before, and I always felt all the way through that Liverpool were going to be better than Roma whilst De Rossi was on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that Madrid might have to make a couple of compromises somewhere in order to be able to be to, to, to feel really strong against Liverpool. And those are big compromises. You get the impression they'll be nervous about them because they'll want to say where Real Madrid were a really, really good side. You know, to me they looked a midfielder light, certainly a, a midfielder who goes around and gets on top of people light. They looked um they they, they just didn't quite seem seem the the side that had you know, the side of of legend the side of your the side that has done this so many times yet to be fair to them they did get through yeah I think that's the sort of um, the, the the difficult thing when you're weighing this up is is I mean I watch I watched both legs that they played against Bayern Munich and I think for a minimum of three quarters of the tie they, they were no good they were no good going forward and they didn't defend particularly well either um, they also failed to beat Spurs in the two games that they played against them this season finished second in the group um, but they just keep getting through. They, ju- they, just, keep, quality, they, ju- they just keep getting through and doing the business. And it's not just this season either. They've done that for the last two. They know how to get to this stage and they know how to win a final. Um, but the point about the midfield is interesting because I was I was at both legs when we played them in the group stage in 2014. Um, and the midfield then was probably the best midfield I've ever seen. Um, and Casemiro wasn't there. It was just Modric and Kroos and then three in front of them and one up front. Uh, and we couldn't get anywhere near them. The, the control he had, the dominance, the, the 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 calmness, just the aura about them was too much for Liverpool. And I know, I know that in the second game it was a reserve eleven and stuff, but there was there was just light years of difference. They were better than anyone I've ever seen. Um, and now they've got the same players. They've added Casemiro, who I think is excellent, but it's just not as good. It's just not as good for some reason, even though it's the same players. And I'm not entirely sure why it is. It might be because they're older. Um, I assume Modric and Kroos are in their early 30s at this stage. They've both been around for a while. Kroos is 28, Modric is early 30s. Okay. Um, in terms of sheer quality in the careers that they've had, yeah, the three of them are better than whatever Liverpool midfield is going to go out in Kiev. But in terms of the legs, in terms of the way the match is going to be played, I think we're better set up for it. And... I don't particularly back Zinedine Zidane to come up with some sort of tactical master plan. You see, you've got to be careful about this because he just won two European Cups. He has. He has, but it's really hard to rate how good he is. He won two European Cups. Did they win them both on penalties? No, no, no. The extra time was... The one with Ancelotti was on, yeah, yeah. yeah. So extra time and penalties. They've not not battered teams at any point. They've not had control over football matches and they're not going to be able, as, as well as they might play, they're not going to be able to control the match against Liverpool because it, the match isn't going to be controlled, if that makes sense. We're just not going to allow it to be like that because that's the way we play, that's the way we act. Um, and they've got they've got one of the greatest footballers of all, of all time up front and if he turns it on on the day, he, he could score four. 
you could, could just score four and we lose and you have to say, all right, mate, you're better than us. We can't do anything about that. It's, it's, it's a very, very good football team, but it's not the team that it was when they won it a year ago. It's not the team that it was when they won it two and four years ago either. They're not as good as then. And Bayern Munich this season have, haven't been as good to the same extent as what they usually are. And they still very nearly got through there at the end. They still really gave them a game. Um so I'm not I'm not as worried about this Real Madrid team as I would have been, as I say, 12 months ago, 24 months ago. It's it's still a brilliant side. It's still a brilliant side. And I think on balance, I'd have rather have played them over two legs than in one game. Um, would you? That's interesting because yeah. my thing on that is is what you just said about Ronaldo. In that, do you want to give him 180 minutes to, to, to do you? Or do you want to try and do you want to give him 90 minutes to do you? I would honestly rather give him the 180 because I think there's less agency about it. He had 180 against Bayern and he didn't score and he, did, he didn't turn up in either leg from what I saw. Um, they've got players that are good enough to have got them through. Uh, the goal that Asensio scored despite coming from a mistake by Rafinha was really, really good. He's a very good player. Um, but yeah, I think, I think if I was facing Ronaldo, yeah, I'd rather have him over two legs, to be honest, especially with this Liverpool team because I'd be more confident about scoring him. Whereas he can have a period of... Yeah. 30 minutes in a Very game fair. where he's completely and utterly unplayable and he might knock three in in them 30 minutes yeah I mean the one thing I would say just generally about Real Madrid this season you know in the league they've been so average and there's I'm assuming there's been a lot of negativity within the the, the media there and the fans and I think it's reached the stage now where this is a must win I, I know most Champions League finals are but the added pressure I think Mike gives Zidane that freedom to maybe change it up a little bit and how he approaches it you know the, you talk about that pressure of of playing a certain way, but he seems to be one that can, he can get away with changing it and, and having maybe some sort of plan. Whether or not he has the ability to, to get one or or not, that's a different question. But I think that they, the pressure of Real Madrid going in the season, I don't think they've won a trophy this year. Have they? No, they haven't. No, they haven't. Barcelona won the both. Yeah, so th- that's going to be huge. And I think Real Madrid fans, the media, the club, I think generally can accept a, a changed kind of system to to try and win the trophy. I, I think his position is really interesting here because if he gets beat, he gets sacked. Yeah, 100% he gets sacked and he knows that. And they all know that as well. And mm. the president there, Florentino Perez, ex- exerts an awful lot of power. And I genuinely wonder if Zinedine Zidane goes to him in the days before the final and says, uh, oh, we're playing a four-man midfield here because we're trying to deal with Liverpool or we're doing, we're doing something different to try and deal with Liverpool. Does, Flor- does Florentino Perez go... You're not. I've signed all these lads for 18, 19 million quid. You're playing a lot of them. Well, he's, this is Real Madrid. This is he's what we got do. Away. Well, he didn't start. Back. He just doesn't start bail against uh, against Munich. Um, mm. He doesn't. You know, he's got a couple on there that he doesn't start. He brings Casemiro on. It's an interesting. It's, it's interesting because to me, the, the, you know, the, it's Benzema and Ronaldo in attack. Modric, uh, Asensio, uh, sort of bit trying to be a bit of the link man there. Kovacic and, and Cruz in there in centre mid. But that it looked a Casemiro light while mm-hmm. simultaneously looking like you know like, like like you could sort of wander through them a little bit. Of times and I wonder whether or not that's the one that you see but then it's you know it is the the, the, the politics of it always with Madrid as well but I, I think for a one-off he might be able to cut loose we'll see I mean we'll talk more and more about it in the run-up to it all over the Anfield rap because you know it couldn't be more exciting if we're all honest about it but <clears throat> for instance I think guys last season's European Cup final I thought Marcelo was brilliant but do you want Marcelo up against Salah uh, is- this is a team that doesn't get runner it, it it doesn't it's not being run at yeah. this season any other season in the way that Liverpool are going to run at them and they might be able to deal with it because they've got very good defenders they've got some of the most expensive defenders in the world but it's untested when they play Atletico in those two finals they're not dealing with anything like this when they play Juventus they're not dealing with anything like it they're turning up with what Griezmann up front on his own and Torres coming off the bench or Iguain and Mandzukic it's a completely different challenge and it's a different challenge to everything they faced in La Liga this season as well I think I genuinely think even though everybody knows how Liverpool play at this point the unknown of having not played against it is such an advantage for us in this scenario uh, OK next little thing uh, to move on to is the allocation for Wad it's a shame it's so low 16,000 in a 70,000 seat stadium one of the pluses of it being in Kiev was the idea and there are a few pluses as we're going to come on to talk about but was the idea that the allocation would be could be hefty um, for Liverpool and Real Madrid to both only have 16,000 each really does beg the question as to whether the 38,000 seats have gone we know where they've gone to UEFA's football family it's a frustrating situation really it's not one that Liverpool can do anything about you do sort of wonder if the the bigger clubs they're quite happy to put a bit, a bit of collective pressure on here and there. There might come some sort of tipping point where they need to get together and say, we just need to get a few more of our, the option of a few more of our supporters in the grounds for these games, you know. Yeah, and I saw something just earlier today. 
I think there was about there were about seven thousand seats that are up for neutral fans to buy. Just regular fans, not even guests of UEFA, just neutral fans. And those sort of things really get to me because the whole a whole part of the package of the Champions League final, the whole kind of marketing branding of it, is the atmosphere that can be created. It's all part of the TV experience and you know whatever sponsorships you want to get and things like that. And they're effectively taking that away from themselves because, I mean, you've got about half the capacity for fans of the actual clubs and then the other half, I mean, I don't quite get how many people UEFA are expecting to come in from within their guests or neutral fans. It doesn't quite make sense to me, if I'm honest. I was in that weird neutral supporter ballot at the quarterfinal stage because I knew it was happening because we're boss. Um, and it's really weird the way they work it because you've got an enter at the quarterfinal stage and you can just sign up for, I think it's up to four tickets. Um, and then you're basically gambling that your team's going to get there and I didn't get them. I know some people that did. Um, and also lo- loads of Man City fans will have them. Yeah, and there's going to be Barcelona fans that have got them and there's going to be fans of every team that was in the quarterfinals that have got Champions League tickets now that don't want them that are just sat there looking at them thinking well I suppose, I suppose I could just go and go to a Champions League final and have a good time and not really care about the match but or then, I can sell them for three grand on the internet there's that or I mean, even if your option you know if, if you're Barcelona and the finals in Paris you're more likely to take that option and that throws the Kiev exactly. yeah. the Kiev thing in Fouad is you know we're all looking at prices for accommodation in Kiev it's obscene yeah. getting there is ridiculously difficult um, it, it's strange to me that Kiev because I, I I would love Liverpool the city of Liverpool to host a European final and there's reasons why we know we wouldn't be able, be able to get a Champions League final because there's all these hoops to jump through I'm just stunned at the idea that Kiev has managed to jump through these hoops given the situation as it is now yeah I mean the first thing I thought when, when they said when I saw it was at Kiev and I'm sure lots of fans thought it was a whole security situation around the country and, and I know it's improved and, and Kiev's a little bit further away from from that side of, of the Ukraine and, and Russia but at the same time you, you, you kind of wonder like you're saying how they get through these hoops and, and you, you hope for a, a city that that has a big history of football and and has that sort of heritage and and you know you want to look forward to to getting there and and having a good time and being able to and being able to go there you know in a, with a decent budget and not having to spend unbelievable amounts of money on accommodation and flights and I think you know what you're going to see is a lot of people doing day trips and things like that which is I guess a little bit of a shame for for the city itself but also it's going to cost a lot of money and it's a shame because you know we all know European aways and, and ticket prices nowadays are have skyrocketed so it's it's sad to see it's, it's for me it's it's just plain strange Dan uh, in a ton of different ways it is you know you know look at current returns if you want to spend a little bit of time there you're looking at over a thousand pounds then you've got accommodation to throw in but it is this sort of I'm, I'm you know I'm I'm wondering if one of the reasons why Kiev has ended up getting this is because Russia's got the World Cup you know I'm just sort of I just think it's, it is and this isn't to say that all but there is well no there is a part of me that does sort of think listen almost just put it in Dortmund every year because they know what they're doing mm-hmm. and you can get 80,000 people into it you know I, that's my sort of the Germans know exactly how to do this sort of thing yeah. in straightforward now obviously you can't do that but and, and you don't want to sound too western centric in a European sense because we're not we're not those people but it is it is proven to be to be tricky for everyone already yeah, absolutely. It's 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 just strange, and they've got a history of making strange decisions. Um, Basel being one that we've all experienced in the recent past, anyway. Um, what what I want to know is 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 what they've done if a Russian side had got to the final, because they've got this rule in European competition lately that a Russian side is not allowed to play a Ukrainian team. So on the off chance that Senate St. Petersburg had, had wormed the way through by having a mad atmosphere in Russia and spending loads of money to this final, what what was the plan? What was going to happen? They don't think of these things. It's literally, as, as much as, yes, the conflict is centred in and around Donetsk and places like that in, in eastern Ukraine, it's literally a country that's got a war going on still inside of it. It's, a, it's an absolutely wild place to be holding a final and, and having hundreds of thousands of people descend upon it. Because as much as, the, as, much as they say the, the ground is, what, 60,000, 70,000 capacity, they know that loads more than that are going to go. And also, on the and also there's, 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 there's the additional media presence. There's the fact that there's, there's, there's cameramen. They exactly. don't count in the capacity. There's all the stuff that goes in around this. There's dignitaries. There's the way it all works. As you've said there, they could easily just have a rotation <coughs> of different cities, the host of finals. They could just say, right, we've got, we've got London, Madrid, Paris, Dortmund, and Rome. And it rotates between the five of them and we do whatever. <laughs> If they don't want it to be as Western-centric as that, if they want to do that out of other places, they have to know that it works. They, they, they have to know that it's feasible to work from a financial point of view, from a geographical point of view, 
the whole thing is based on geopolitics. That, that, that's the be all and end all of it. Um, and it's a massive shame that it is because we've just got through to the European Cup final at the time of our lives in Rome. We should all just be thinking about how brilliant the final is going to be. And for the next however long it takes for us to sort it out, we're all just going to be stressed. We're just going to be trying to figure out a way of getting to this mad place, yeah. somewhere to stay. And it shouldn't be like that. Imagine the difference if it was in Paris and you didn't even have to fly. <laughs> And I know, I know that's just being selfish because it's near to here and whatever else. But in the grand scheme of things, it would just work out better because as much as we wouldn't want it to be totally Western-centric, it's two Western sides that are going to be in the final. It's always, it's always going to be, unless there's some sort of free coincidence, and as I say, someone from Russia or a, a Turkish side gets there, but it, it's, it's highly unlikely. So why they can't just account for that is perplexing. Um, <clears throat> getting there next season, Liverpool go to Chelsea this weekend, Phil Adam. It's fair to say that listen, we'd all just take the point now and get out and then be able to look forward to Brighton next week. And if we finish above Spurs, great. If we don't, you know, sort it out from there, go from there. It's massive for the club to uh, to, to pull this out the bag. The worry is those lads will be shattered. Yeah, definitely. And I, I had a look at Klopp's press conference early and, and to be fair to him, he, he was obviously upbeat and he seemed, usually after these midweek games, there's a sense of, he feels a little bit hard done that there's another game coming up so close and he feels like, look, what am I supposed to do? I, I need to rotate or these lads are going to play. I don't expect them to come and, and play the best football of their lives. But there was none of that this, at this press conference. And I think, I think we're probably going to see pretty much the same side. I think Nathaniel Klein's a big, big shout to come in. That's probably one change that I could see happening for sure. But it, it, is, a, it is a matter of just getting the point. And I think, I think they'll, they'll go there to try and win the game, obviously. But I, I obviously don't see them sitting back or, or completely changing how they've been playing recently. But I... I think a point will make everyone happy and we take that any day. I think the main reason why you almost want to see Liverpool score goals in this one, Dan, early, is to create a buffer for what could come later in the game when you begin to tire and all of that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. I think it is almost a bit like another European away game to me where Liverpool are going in and every goal they score counts as an away goal because the extent to which Chelsea need to win the game, you know, a 2-2, a 2-2 draw is a win for Liverpool, a 1-1 draw is a win for Liverpool, yep. a 3-3 draw is a win for Liverpool. That's the nature of this one and that's it has got that sort of European feel. But... You feel as though these lads, it is, it's a big ask to get them to go there and play the intensity we're used to seeing. Yeah, we looked absolutely knackered towards the end of that match of the night. And it's no coincidence because it's the same lads playing and it's the same lads playing in the same insane way every week. Um, and it must be physically and mentally exhausting. I think this is really hard to pick a team for. Really hard to pick a team for. Because there's an argument that you just put them all out again. You try to ride the wave of the momentum. You try to just get that the points. That feel good that we saw in front of us at that end, yeah, at the end of that game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Still standing, you, 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 try, you try to get the points and then you say, three weeks off, lads, you're not playing Brighton, none of you are. Um, but then if you do that and you don't get the points, they've got to go, go, go again for Brighton and that's really hard. And then they've got to go again in the final. Um, I assume it'll be some sort of. You see, hybrid. I think he'll be just on that quick. I think he'll be thinking. I think he. I think he'll arrange a break behind closed doors game between Brighton and the final, and that I think he'll want them to stay in rhythm. Yeah. I think, I think you don't want to give them necessarily three weeks off. Okay. But I. But you know, want to keep them playing and keep them keep them bouncing. But there's a flip side to that. But I agree with you on this one. In that, it, you know, it would be great if it was done and dusted by now because you'd were able to have the arguments of well, don't worry too much about this one. Give mm-hmm. them the give them the ten day break between now and Brighton, and then yeah. get them. You know. It's, it's, it's where the results against West Brom and, and, and Stoke I think West Brom, West Brom hurts at this point because they were 2-0 up Stoke feels yeah. a bit like one of them but they were mm-hmm. 2-0 up at West Brom yeah um, I, I think it'll be some sort of hybrid at the weekend similar to West Brom in that there'll be a glut of, of the first team lads and others will come in around them I expect the likes of Lovren to, to, to get a rest and Clavan to play and stuff like that um, I also fully expect Lovren to come on with 10 minutes to go no matter what the scoreline is because that's the change now <laughs> um, I, I, I just think it's really hard to prepare for really hard and it didn't need to be hard as you say because of that West Brom game but it's a nice problem to have in that we're essentially arguing over which way we want to qualify for the European Cup at this point. Do we want to draw this game, win the one after, or just win the final and these don't matter? Um, it, it, it's really hard to plan for this. And if you ask me today what my lineup would be, it'd probably be different to what I tell you tomorrow. Well, it's, there's, there's the good news for what the Chan and, and Lana are back, or a pre- expect, Chan's expected to be back training for Monday, which gives them the idea of another lad on the bench come the final. Um, there is. I think it's difficult to see beyond... I think it's almost dictated to him by the front three and the midfield three in that he can't really change the midfield three. He can't really change the front three. 
So we may as well almost do what you've just sort of described before and maybe just bring Nathaniel Klein in and say to the rest of them, just give me everything you've got. Just give me everything you've got on this one and then we, we can we can reassess after this game, depending on the results, depending on what we need from Brighton, depending on how you all feel. And that might not be that might not be the sports science approach, but it may well be at this stage the human approach. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it, it's probably it's the way I'd go with it. And I, I think bringing Nathaniel Klein in as well, is, you know, it's not just in terms of giving Trent a rest and, and giving, you know, getting some fresh legs on, but it also gives him a chance to get himself fit and possibly be in a shout for the final. You know, we are kind of thin in that position as it is. Joe Gomez still injured. If anything happens to Trent, I, I don't want to think like that. But if or anything, if anything does, happens to a midfielder, you might need Trent in midfield. Or even a midfielder, then you're going to need him then. It's very tough to to rely on Emery Chan to come back and, and start a Champions League final and expect to compete, you know, at that level. But yeah, no, I think bringing in, possibly changing both fullbacks if, if if need be could be a could be a way to go it and and almost sort of unleashing them um and trying to use their pace uh, especially moreno if if he can deliver an attacking performance that could be something we could use but I think the only way to rest some of the other players is, is changing the system. I just don't see him doing that at this stage. I don't see him changing the system either, Dan. I think, and I think also expecting him to. But also, we're not. It's not. We're not coming up against last season's Chelsea. Yes, they've got themselves a couple of wins on the bounce, but they weren't great against Swansea. I watched that game, and they weren't great. And you know, the, there's. Kante's had a struggle for the, across the course of the season. It's not like Fabregas is the most mobile. Uh, yes, they're bringing Alonso back in, but for me, the right hand side for them has not been right all the way through the campaign. He's very inconsistent in his selection of Willian. Yes, we've seen Hazard scare the life out of us, but it looks like he's settled on Giroud at the minute as his main centre-forward, which limits the mobility a little bit. My point is, there's a reason why these lads are beneath us mm-hmm. by a few, fair few points in the table at this stage of the season. There is a reason why that's the case. It would be nice to go there and not, not feel like we've got to be scared of them. Yeah, I don't think we need to, no matter what team we put out. Um uh, no matter what when you go to that ground no matter what form Liverpool are in what form Chelsea are in any result is possible because for the last 15 years or so they've been eminently close in terms of quality um, and in terms of position in the league standings um, they're not the team that they were a year ago and I think that the drop off has been quite staggering because I mean they won it was, it was 14 in a row wasn't it it was, yeah. it, was yeah. it was an incredible run that they went on because I mean at the time Liverpool were getting into a bit of form towards the end of that January and we played them at Anfield and had that game and we we couldn't even talk about the possibility of a title challenge because it was it was done by January. They were they were relentless. It was it was unbelievable to watch just week after week them knocking out these two nil wins, three one wins, one nil wins, um, and the extent to which they've lost their own self belief in that time is is incredible to be honest. Because I don't think anyone expects that to happen to Manchester City next season. It feels like an exclusively Chelsea thing to happen that they just all start in fighting and. They sign a gang of really weird players that just don't improve them in any way. Barkley, um, just really strange signings for a league title winning team last season. Um, and the manager seems to, seems to know that no matter what, he's not there next season. And it's a, it's a really, it's always been a weird club, but this feels like almost its weirdest period in, in, in modern times anyway, because even when they had Mourinho, it, it, it felt like a bit of a, a mad blip, whereas this feels almost more consistent. All right, then give me a prediction, uh, Dan. 1-1. One, one. We're going to do, do it in this game. Fuad? I'm going 2-1 Liverpool. I'm also going 2-1 <laughs> Liverpool and I haven't been that confident the last couple of weeks for different reasons really feeling the way in which we're going into the game but I sort yeah, of exactly. I like the I, I can imagine a situation where the Reds get themselves 2-1 up 2-0 up sorry by the hour and then it's a bit of a bit of a hanging on for dear life and may I use all the cliches the Alamo uh, and Liverpool sort of see the way home but also what happens is you, you get to 85 and this is a Chelsea side that sort of shrugs its shoulders and goes well we've had a good go uh, we've maybe got one back in that period it's not happening for us because we now still know, know we need to score two I think that away goals count double and I think Liverpool can score away goals they did it against Roma they did it against Porto they've been doing it all year Liverpool to score away goals and to put Chelsea out in our European bid of a season thank you very much Dan Austin Fuad Hassan what an hour of radio that was Sports Social Podcast Network